Hey, friends, welcome back to another episode of Thriving Thoughts. I'm your host, Dr. Sherry, and today is our special rebroadcast day. Every Wednesday in October of 2020, we are rebroadcasting an episode from either season one or season two, and I am leaving these episodes intact. The only difference is in this episode, you will find that my guest rebroadcasted Sarah Ward. Now, her book is available for purchase. You no longer have to wait for it. Her book, Made for Hope, can be found right on Amazon.com or on SarahRWard.com. Those links are in the show notes for you. In my month of listening in October so far, I've been hearing so much brokenness and so much loss of all types of things, jobs, family members, marriages, pets, so much loss. I wanted to reshare this episode, to rebroadcast this episode with Sarah, because her message is all about being made for hope, and that even in our darkest, deepest places of loss and grieving, we can find that hope. So I certainly pray that you are encouraged by today's rebroadcast. Enjoy my past conversation with guest Sarah Ward. Welcome to Thriving Thoughts, a podcast for women who believe in thriving in any and every circumstance. Every week, we have candid conversations with remarkable women about how they silence the little lies in their minds and overcome their shoulds, coulds, and not enoughs with big truths. I'm your host, Dr. Sherry. Now let's thrive. Hey, sisters. Welcome to episode seven, Losing Control of Your Thriving Thoughts with Dr. Sherry Podcast. I am so excited to have my guest here with me today, my new friend. I know another friend from social media, y'all. I'm starting to love it. I don't know about you, but I have no more hate for the social media because I am meeting incredible, remarkable women like today's guest and friend, Sarah Ward. You guys, Sarah has a book coming out that is a culmination of the lessons that she's learned throughout her life in grieving multiple losses, multiple challenges, and um, she wants to share that book with you. So you're going to have to tune in, listen to the end, so that you can hear all about the book. It's going to be released on October 29th, and it's called Made for Hope, Discovering Unexpected Gifts in Brokenness. Now, listen, sisters, I know sometimes when we're feeling broken, it can feel like there are no gifts to be had for sure. I know that Sarah talks in my conversation with her, she talks about going through repeated uh, experiences that just felt like failures, doing things over and over again, where she believed at one point the little lie that nothing good could come from these grief, dark places, right? So Sarah's got a new message for you, and it really is um, all about her book title, Made for Hope. Y'all, she speaks truth to us. She speaks truth over us. She doesn't give us platitudes, but she shares the lessons that she's learned and how she has discovered unexpected gifts in the brokenness of her life and how we can do the same too. So tune in, listen up, enjoy my conversation with my new friend, Sarah Ward. Hey, good morning, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Thriving Thoughts. I'm so honored that you're here with me today. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Sherry. 
You are so welcome. And this is so cool because we get to see each other. Nobody else does, but I do. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I do. I do. I love it too. And so Sarah, we were just laughing that we're sitting here and both of us have like half of our faces masked yeah. by these huge pop filters over our mics. So it's hilarious, but we're going to do that because we know that's what we have to do to make it sound good and to make that message get to as many people as possible. So Sarah, where do you live? Where are you from? We are currently living in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and oh. I am from originally the Goshen, Indiana area, which is kind of known for being an Amish Mennonite uh, community. I'm not Amish or Mennonite, but that's <laughs> what they're known for in Northern Indiana, about three hours um, away from Chicago. So okay, that's now, the area. Now, I, I am from Amish and Mennonite lineage, um, but the Pennsylvania Dutch, not the Indiana Goshen. But I imagine, are there some Yoders out there? There are a lot of Yoders. <laughs> and I almost asked you if you were from that area because I was like, she's a Yoder. I know like a million Yoders right. from my past. So. Right. <laughs> Have you ever That's seen great. have you ever seen that movie? Um, what was it? Uh with Tim Allen, um, for richer or poorer, I think it is what it was. I have not. Oh my goodness. So it's really funny. It's this movie about this couple who kind of have to go into witness protection because they've witnessed something. And so they end up putting them in this Amish community. And they, <laughs> so they call them the Yoders, right? And and so they're in they're they're like attending a ceremony or whatever. And then this people come looking for them. And they walk into the wedding and they say, you know, we're looking for John Yoder. And like all of the crowd stands up. <laughs> it's just so funny. Anyway, so that's really cool. So um, you grew up there your whole life. Mm -hmm. I did. I did. Yeah. Um, and with my brother and my sister and my mom and dad and had a great childhood, grew up in a Christian home. Yeah. And then when I was 16 years old, my dad passed away unexpectedly. Oh and my so goodness. That, that was my first kind of taste of grief and yeah. the realization that bad things happen to people every day, mm -hmm. that this wasn't just something that happened to me. But um, at that, up until that point, nothing really big had happened. Mm -hmm. And so I realized, wow, this is a turning point in my life. And I have to learn how to deal with this and heal from this and get past it. And I wow. realized that all of our lives have those turning points, those before uh -huh. and after moments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, that's interesting that you say that before and after, because I, and, and certainly with something as tragic as, as losing your father and that's tragic at any age, but particularly at 16 in such a formative period of your life. Um, and then I think the, the before it's, it's always like, what did life look like before this? It's almost like it's almost like you can't remember to a degree because the the grief really like just takes over in a new way. I mean, now you're not thinking the same. You're right. not feeling the same. The world doesn't look the same. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So let me ask you this. What birth order are you? I am the youngest. So okay. when it happened, um, my brother was an adult and he was on his own and my sister uh, was still living at home, but she was almost ready to kind of leave the nest. Mm -hmm. um, she was just at that point where she was working and, and was going to get married and that sort of thing. But she 
was almost independent. So it affected them, but I was the one still at home and I was the last to leave the nest. And so when I did go off to college, that was a real hard transition for my family, my mom, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. she had just lost a husband and then became an empty nester. And so it was a time of real transition for our family. And I would also say that as a 16-year-old, I didn't know how to deal with grief. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to deal with those feelings that you were talking about. And so mm-hmm. I stuffed a lot of the feelings yeah. and then realized several years later that if you don't deal with your grief, it comes back. Yeah. It, it reemerges in your life and that you have to deal with those painful feelings at some point. And so I dealt with a lot of that in college. And okay. I was lucky to have um, a supportive community. I went to a Christian college in Huntington called Huntington University okay. and had very supportive, strong Christian friends who helped carry me through that grieving process. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that was my first lesson in learning how important it was to have people surrounding you who speak God's truth to you. Oh, yeah. Because I didn't realize I was going to face a lot more hardship and trials in my life Mm -hmm. and that this was only the beginning. But I didn't realize that at that point. And none of us, none of us realized that. No, we don't. And I, you know, so I've got a question for you. Um, about what you said, and we are just diving right in here, and I'm so happy about that because we're going to get to the meat of of what we know that um, the women listening need to hear. So you said you have to deal with your grief. Right. What What does that look like for you? Well, I can tell you what it's not. <laughs> okay, great. Do you, let me start there, then I'll tell you what I learned from that um, okay. later in my life. But I tried to say to myself when I was 16, okay, it's been three, four, five, six months, however long it had been. I am done with this grief. I am moving on because Mm. I feel like our society and our culture teaches us that we need to move on from our hard stuff. Always. Because it's uncomfortable. Yes, it is. It's uncomfortable to live in those feelings and to deal with those feelings and to feel sad. And it's a uncomfortable for our friends to recognize that we're sad Mm -hmm. and to know how to talk about it. And let me tell you, teenagers don't always know how to talk about those heavy, heavy topics because we just want to have fun and good time. And I remember wanting to talk about my grief, but not feeling like I knew who to talk to. And one day I was sitting in the library at my high school and this girl came up to me and she sat down next to me and I was reading a book and she says to me, what's it like to lose a father? And Mm. I remember feeling this sense of relief. Like finally someone asked me what it's like. No one had asked me. Everyone had tried to just act like it was okay. And I, I was doing the same. So it it wasn't their fault. It was mine for pretending Mm -hmm. that everything was okay. And that she was the one person to really address that, Mm. those feelings of grief in my life. But from then on, I didn't address it and I didn't deal with it. And I just said, I'm past this. It's good. And it wasn't until I got into college and I started feeling feelings of grief and some depression that goes along with mm-hmm. grief a lot of times and sadness. Yeah. And I couldn't put my finger on why. And then one day I realized it was because I had lost my dad that I was feeling this grief. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I needed to just feel the feelings yes. that it was okay to experience sadness and grief. And it was okay to sit in that pain and that God yes. understood my pain yes. and that he was still there and present and that I wasn't any less of a Christian because I was sad. 
<laughs> that yes. I wasn't oh, less of a person. That, girl. Yes. <laughs> I wasn't less of a person because I was sad that this is okay. And we see that yeah. in the Psalms that lament yes. is okay, that it's yes. okay to not be okay. And it's okay to have friends that are feeling sadness. And that as a friend, when we have friends who experience sadness and grief, we need to sit with them in their pain and we don't need to have answers. That's right. We just need to sit and let them feel that sadness. And that's what I learned about dealing with grief. The first lesson I learned, and it served me well when I um, had more losses in my life later. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, when I hear you talk about that, that first lesson of really just sitting with the pain, that is something that Western culture does not, does not embrace. Right. right. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> we embrace anesthetizing pain. That's yes. what we do, right? Yes. Um, either through the bottle or through prescription pills or whatever it is, or through diving yourself into work, you know, whatever um the the cover up the mask is. And it's interesting in Eastern cultures, I mean, there are rituals where they will literally dress in sackcloth and ashes and mourn for a specified period of time. And, and that is just what they do because they embrace the pain that comes with loss, that comes with grief. And so it's so interesting to me that I love what you're talking about. And man, for the women listening, if you are in a place where you are grieving, I want you to hear what Sarah just said. She said that you have permission to not be okay. You have permission to be in pain. You have permission to feel sad. You have permission to feel depressed. And it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. It means that you are experiencing what you should be experiencing at a time like this in your life, right? Absolutely. Yes. Amen. Yes. Well, and so it's funny because I, so this morning, I actually, a friend of mine just sent me an article and it was a model about how to how to sit with other people in their grief either any kind of grief grief of losing a loved one grief of a uh, physical diagnosis grief whatever kind of grief there is financial grief it doesn't matter um and they called it the ring model have you heard of this i believe i read an article about it but go on because i don't know that yeah. much about it so the basic premise is the person that has experienced the loss firsthand, that it, it affects the most, goes at the center circle. And then the person that's next closest to them goes in a concentric circle outside of them. And then the people next closest in the next one and so on and so forth, right? And so you have these concentric circles reaching out. And the idea is that if you need to dump your feelings of frustration or anger or hurt or your own feelings of grief that you have to dump out. So you have to dump from whatever circle you're in out. You can't dump in to the people that it's affected the most, right? Right. And that and that the other way in, so like let's say you're in the third circle out, is that it's always comfort in. So it's just not, it's like you said, it's not having the answers. It's just sitting with them in their grief. And I think a lot of people do not do that because we don't know how. So, right. We don't know how to right. sit with our own, much less sit with somebody else's. Um, and I, one of the lessons I'm learning, Sarah, is like, not only is it okay to not be okay, but like, 
if I feel like I have to cry, there's a reason for that. That is an outlet. That is an emotional outlet. And I'm going to do it. And I'm not going to judge myself for it. I'm just going to do it because it's something that needs to happen, right? Like God holds all of our tears in a bottle. So if I keep them all bottled up inside, I'm taking something away from him, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. You said so many good truths. Um, One thing I want to add on to what you're talking about with sitting with those who are in pain are the Jews have, um, the Jews have this beautiful tradition of called sitting Shiva. Yes. That whole idea that, After someone loses a loved one, you go to the person's house and you just sit with them in their pain. Yeah. And tradition holds that you're just supposed to remain silent unless the mourners want to talk. And I think that's such a beautiful picture Mm. of what we can offer a friend in grief that we don't have to have the right words. We can just sit with them. Right. And if they want to talk, then be a listening ear. And if they don't want to talk and they want to cry, then just sit with them. And and yeah. be okay with their grief. Yeah. Now, how, how do we be okay with our grief for ourselves? Like, I know that, like, do we need to have people sitting with us? Do we need to say, like, let's say we're experiencing something, a grief of our own. Do we need to advocate for ourselves in that and say, hey, to somebody who's close in our lives, hey, can you just come and sit with me? Just be with me. Don't ask me questions. Don't try to give me advice. Just come and sit with me. Is that something that we can and should do? I think so. I I think it's sometimes helpful to say what you need Yeah, because there are a lot of people that will offer to help you in grief Mm -hmm. and they will make an open-ended offer Mm -hmm. and it's hard to reach out for help. They'll say, well, just let me know if you need help. Right. I I think sometimes we don't know what we need help with. And so it does help if you're the friend to offer maybe something specific like coming over and just sitting with them or bringing a meal or whatever it is that you can offer to that person. But I do think as a griever, it's okay to say what you need if you yeah. feel like you know what you need. And sometimes right. in grief, it's hard to know, honestly. Yeah. Well, and maybe, but maybe even if you're in a place and you don't know, maybe it's just, you just need somebody to sit with you. Absolutely. I, right? Yeah. And, and so maybe that's, you know, what you need and maybe that will help. Now, I, I've got a question for you, Sarah. So you yeah. said that that set the stage, losing your dad at 16 really set the stage for how you would later continue to, you know, not just learn about dealing with your own grief, but how that that would um, provide a a solid foundation for you in the future. So um, can you tell us what you're referring to? Yeah, I'm actually referring to two um, tragic events that happened to our family. Uh, Back in 2005, my husband started having some back pain and uh, we were fairly newly married and young, and the doctor thought it was just um, normal like back strain Mm -hmm. and didn't really think anything of it. And it got worse and continued to get worse to the point where he could barely move. And the doctor sent him to the ER and said, I'm not sure what's wrong with you, but you need to get this checked out now. And we went to the ER and my husband was actually diagnosed with cancer as a young man. And we had no idea of course, it was cancer and it was a tumor that was um, pressing on some nerves. Hmm. And at that point, I realized that we were facing 
another trial. This was our first trial as a married couple and that I needed. How long had you been married at that point, Sarah? We had been married, I believe, uh, seven years. So six to seven years. So I I consider that new in in my marriage. For Um, sure, girl. Yeah. (laughs) We did not have children yet, but we weren't expecting this turning point in our lives. And all Mm -hmm. of a sudden I had to face the reality that I might lose my husband and become a Mm. widow at a very young age. And honestly, because the cancer had metastasized, they weren't sure whether my husband would would make it or not. And they said, we're going to give him the most chemotherapy that we can give a person and hope for the best. And that put me in a place of feeling of grief and feeling very vulnerable and so much heartache and realizing that my future might be losing a husband and being alone. And I had these dreams of having a family and I was like, God, what's happening? Why, why is this happening? We've been serving you um, in ministry because we both Mm. worked at a church. My husband um, was, and is still a worship pastor. And I couldn't understand why we were going through this. And I started to pray the Psalms at that Mm. point, because I didn't know what else to pray other than God for God to save my husband. And would take the Psalms, the lament Psalms, where Mm -hmm. the psalmist is crying out to God for help. And I prayed that for my husband and I prayed it and prayed it and cried those Psalms um, because there was nothing I could do to save my husband. Mm -mm. Only God could do that. Mm -hmm. And God did work through the chemotherapy and my husband did go into remission from his cancer and he has been free from cancer now since 2005 and um we we praise him for that but what i didn't realize at that point in time in 2005 is that this was just the start of going through hard things and that four years later we would adopt a son hey sarah Yes. Sarah, before you before you move on to that, I just okay. I want to I want to uh, hang out there for just one minute with you. Absolutely. Um, so I, a couple of questions come to mind, and I just I've been taking some notes here so that I don't forget anything. Um, but what you're talking about dealing with there with your husband being diagnosed with cancer, um, that is a different kind of grief because you it did is. not you did not lose your husband, right? No. But what you got, you got something. You got some significant bad news. You got a significant medical issue that you had to contend with. And so when I think back to our conversation at the very beginning, when you mentioned that phrase, the before and the after, like, I mean, you were in the, you were also in the in-between during that limbo land. And, you know, now, now he's healed. So you're in the after, but then when you were in the before, it was, we're newly married. We've got all of our dreams ahead of us. We've got, you know, everything. So let me ask you this. So during that in-between, could you share with us some of the little lies that you contended with? Yes. I think one of them was that I thought I could plan my life and Mm. set these goals in front of myself and achieve them if I tried hard enough. Yeah, And I realized I could not, that, mm. that I did not have control of everything in my life. Right. I, <laughs> I thought, mean, we, wait, I thought I was driving the car. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, I knew that from all my Bible learning growing sure. up, but to live it is a totally yes. different thing. And yeah. to realize that we had these plans and these dreams of 
having a family and what that would look like. And Mm -hmm. then to have all, I felt like all of that was being taken from me at that point in time. And I realized I am not in control. Yes. That's a lie that I thought I could live out that (laughs) I'm in control. I can plan these things and they will just happen. Right. And learning to let go of control was mm. something really hard for me. And I think is hard for everybody, yeah. especially for someone who likes to plan how things right. will go. And I've had to give up those dreams over and over again and yes. reimagine how my life would look. Um, yeah. and even though my husband, he did survive cancer and now we do have children. It's different than we thought it would yes. turn out because we're not yeah. able to have biological children um, due to my husband's cancer and chemotherapy treatments. But right. we adopted our children and life has turned out so much more beautiful than I could have imagined at that point, but it's different than what I, we had planned. Yeah. And so, man, that is the loss of expectations, the loss of, and I think that maybe for you, it's, you sound like the, the, um, the personality type that loves to plan things out. I mean, like when you were telling, which we're going to get to here momentarily, but you, when you were telling me about your book process and you're like, well, I'm going to do this. And then I think I'm going to do this. I'm like, oh, she's got it all figured out. I'm like, I wake I up don't. in the morning and I'm like, what am I doing today? Um, <laughs> I so, don't have it all figured out, <laughs> but, but it's, it's kind of, it sounds like that's your propensity is to really, is, is to really plan and try to control or try to um, look for the blind spots and, and try to control for those types of things. And so losing that, um, the expectation of what life was going to look like for you. I mean, that started when you were 16, did it not? It really did. And I think we all face that point in our life or numerous points in our life where we realize we're not in control and our best plans can't always happen. And we kind of have to reimagine and discover what God has written for our lives. Hey, Sarah, was there a moment when you surrendered to that? uh, When you, when you gave up that lie and you said, I know that's a lie. And the truth is I am not, and I never will be in control. God is. Absolutely. I think if, if there was something I learned during my husband's cancer journey, it's that God is sovereign over everything. And I knew that he was sovereign over my husband's life Mm -hmm. and that I had no control whether he lived or died, but God, God was over that situation. Mm -hmm. And we didn't know the outcome. We didn't know that he would still be alive today. But at that time I had to surrender that I had to say, I will praise you whether my husband lives or dies. And that is a hard thing to say. That is a hard thing for all of us, no matter who we love or even with our own life. And I think people who face chronic health challenges or disease or get a horrible diagnosis have to face that. Yeah. Well, yes. And I, I think that's God's desire is for us to face that because it's not, these things don't happen to, they don't happen to bring us closer to God. They happen because we live in a fallen world, but yep. They when they happen, we can take that as an opportunity to draw closer to God and to have him teach us something about ourselves that he is desperately wanting to teach us. So we he can use that as a vessel for that drawing closer. And it sounds like that's what he did for you in that moment of clarity of, hey, girl, I'm your daddy up here. I got this. You need to be looking to me, right? 
Absolutely. That was what happened. I feel like he made that clear in my life. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So I derailed you there, but, um, oh no, I didn't. I had one more question. What was, you said that you were singing some of these Psalms and you were praying some of these Psalms. Um, do you have a favorite that spoke truth to you? Hey sisters, do you love the encouragement, motivation, and truth speaking you're hearing on today's episode? Be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Now back to the show. I have a lot of favorites and I don't have it in front of me right now, but I, I love, I I have them marked up in my Bible. I will say that like when he went through cancer, I started just marking up those Psalms like crazy. And now when I come back to them, I'm like, oh yes, that Psalm meant so much to me. Mm -hmm. It still means so much to me because of what we went through. But I love the Psalm that talks about why is my soul so so downcast and so disturbed in me? So it starts at the point of lament. And then the psalmist says, put your hope in God, yeah, for I will yet praise him. And so I love that one because it, the psalmist is admitting that he's downcast and his soul is disturbed. Yes. And then it's like he reminds himself what he needs to do. And he says, put your hope in God. And I have been in that place where my soul has been downcast and in despair. And I've had to remind myself, of who God is and what he's done for me and what his promises are to me and to put my hope in him. And that's so important. Otherwise we buy into the lies that Satan feeds us in those times of despair. Yes, absolutely. Oh my goodness. And they, you know, one of the things I've found about lies, and then I'll just say this really briefly, and then I want to hear about kind of, I think the next experience you're going to share was kind of the impetus for your book. It is. I think. Okay. Um, but, um, Oh man, it just went out of my head, Sarah, just like that. And that's what happened. So I guess I didn't need to say it. So if you think of it, bring it up later. Okay, I will. You go ahead. All right. Well, um, we, I didn't, I don't know if I mentioned this at the beginning, but I'm a mom to three children and all of our children came to us through adoption. Um, How old are they, Sarah? Well, I have a, or I should say, we have a 13 year old daughter. Um, who came to us soon after my husband went into remission. Um, It happened very quickly in the adoption program. And that was kind of like the joy after a lot of sorrow. Um, And then about four years after that, our son was born. We also adopted and brought home from the hospital. And so that was uh, in 2009. And we did not know it at the time, but he was born with a genetic disease okay. that is terminal, always terminal. It's called Lay's disease. It's extremely rare okay. and it does not present at birth. And a lot of times um, a mother or family, mom and dad, don't don't know that they carry the genes for it until their child's diagnosed with it. And so in this okay. particular case... Um, my son's birth mother didn't know she carried the genes for this. And he was a normal infant, healthy infant mm-hmm. from what we could see. Mm-hmm. And about six months after he was born, we started to notice that he was um, just very weak. He was kind mm. of behind what other babies were doing, but just a little bit. And so the doctor wasn't real concerned at his well check appointment, but she says, let's keep an eye on it. Cause some kids are just, you know, behind a little bit and then they get caught up later. Mm-hmm. No big deal. And then at his nine month appointment, he had not made any progress from six mm. to nine months. And for okay. many babies, they, they 
there's a steady increase of progress over that first year. Mm -hmm. Um, And she became concerned and she said, let's do an MRI. And so we did an MRI on our son, Silas, and it showed that he had this Lay's disease, um, Mm. genetic disease. And we were devastated because we thought he was just a normal kid. And we get this diagnosis that he not only has a disease, but he will likely only live two to three years because there was Mm. no cure. There was nothing they could do to for this disease. It was a genetic, you know, it was something we couldn't change about his genetic makeup. And so right. his body would just slowly regress mm. and he would eventually pass away. Mm. And that was devastating for us, mm. even though I had been through hard times, we had been through hard times as a family. Yeah. I had this idea, and this is another lie that once you go through something hard, <laughs> that you won't have to go through anything hard again. You're or done. Not for a right. long time. Right. You are done. You've been dished out enough. Yeah. Yes. And it's almost like, well, no, I get a pass on suffering. It's almost yeah. like the game Monopoly where you get the get out of jail free card. Right. It's like get out of suffering for free. You think I paid the price. I suffered already. But you don't because like you said, we live in a fallen world. Yeah. Bad things happen to us and there are no guarantees. Right. And I felt like I had been cheated. Like mm. this, I've gone through my hard thing, Lord, and we praised you through that storm. Right. And why is this happening to me now? And it took a long time for me to come to a place of of realizing that this was part of God's plan for us to parent this very broken and fragile mm. little boy mm. um, and that there is still joy to be found in this journey of loving him through this illness yeah. and through through even his death and finding um, our hope and our joy in the Lord and for the story he has written for us, that it's not Mm. a story of brokenness and death, but a story of hope and redemption. Yeah. Girl, were you always able to say that? No, (laughs) no. (laughs) I, you know, when I was in that place of accepting my son's diagnosis and caring for him, and even though I loved him so much and would do anything for him, I felt like I had failed and that I didn't know what I had done wrong, that I that I was being almost punished. And yet I knew that wasn't mm. my God, that he was not yeah. punishing me for anything, yeah. that this was part of the sin and brokenness of our world. But I think yeah. so many times we we start to see God as the enemy, like we've done something and he's now punishing us. And so many times when we go through something, it's it's from the evil one, it's from Satan, it's part yeah. of the fall. That's right. Um, and it's not always our faults. It's because we live in a broken world. And right. I had to experience all the feelings of feeling like a failure and I had somehow mm. failed and um, and that nothing good com- could come out of it. And I had yeah. to rediscover God's goodness in that place. How did and you it, do that? Well, let me first say that that's a journey. It's not something that happens overnight. I, right. I think so many times we think that when we go through something hard, we will just be like, okay, we'll just have God's peace and we won't struggle. <laughs> and then we're shocked when we struggle. At least right. I've I've heard this from people. They're like, <laughs> but I don't understand. Why is this happening to me? And I was in that place where I said, why right. me, God? And I had to continually reflect on who God was yeah. and his promises in scripture. And that's why it's so important to remain in the world, word of God when you're yeah. going through hardship and not distance yourself from God's word. It's important to pray, even when you feel like your yeah. prayers are, aren't being heard. They are. It's just sometimes we feel like we're not getting the answer we want in that place. Yeah. And yeah. we also have to surround ourselves with people who will 
encourage us um, and support us through that time. And that was critical for us people from church. We don't live close to most of our family. And so allowing people to help us is humbling, but it is such a beautiful blessing. And so you have to be open and willing to allow people into your lives who also show you God's love, that he has not left you alone, Mm -hmm. that he has brought people around you. And that's also very important. And so that process of not only caring for my son and watching him decline in health until he passed away was all of that was happening in my mind, discovering God is faithful no matter what I go through. And Mm -hmm. he will faithfully carry me through this grief journey after my son passes away. And my son passed away around three years of age. And that was back in 2012. Mm. Sarah, what's what's his name? His name is Silas. Mm. And he... um, he was a beautiful little boy. He was he yeah. was wonderful and the memories of caring for him although it was it was a hard and difficult journey are so precious to me now and I'm so mm-hmm. glad that I was able to be his mom and his yeah. the person who cared for him each day and I gave up um a lot of my writing during that season mm-hmm. of caring for him. Mm-hmm. I gave up uh part-time work um that I enjoyed so that I could care for him. And I don't have any regrets about that. It was, it was a privilege to care for him and love him and show Mm -hmm. him God's love. And I Mm -hmm. learned a lot in that season of caring for him. Mm -hmm. Um, And then had to go through the grief journey again and knew from my experience with my dad, losing my dad, that this time I was going to grieve differently Mm. and that I was going to feel those feelings and experience it. And that first year after my son had passed away. I really had no goals, nothing, but I was going to deal with my grief, even knowing that a year is not enough time that it's ongoing, that grief continues. Yeah, it does. It does. But I had no goals other than I'm going to lean into these feelings as horrible as they are. And I'm going to deal with all of it. And I'm going to get the help I need. And that's what I did. So, Hey, um, Man, you know, I've um, colloquially, colloquially, I've heard it said that there is no pain or grief greater than the grief of losing a child. Um, and I know that there are um, many women out there who have lost a child who has either been conceived or who has not yet been conceived. Mm-hmm. Um, can you? Can you share with us maybe something that was the most helpful to you during that time? And if it's not, um, if it doesn't bring you back to a place of, of grief or anger, something that um, was not helpful to you during that time. Okay. Um, let's start with the maybe what's not helpful. And then I'll talk a little bit through what, what did help me and what were good reminders for me. Um, Honestly, I felt like our community of support was very compassionate Mm -hmm. um, during our time of grief. And I have to say how much I appreciate that because I've been involved in the grieving community and our area. And that is not always the case. Um, People, with good intentions sometimes say Mm -hmm. things that are 
seem hurtful to us yeah. and they mean the best. Um, <clears throat> oh, totally agreed. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I will say that, um, what, what doesn't help? I will say this. I think it's a temptation when we have a friend that goes through something really hard that if we don't know what to do and we're afraid of what we might say or say wrong, that we back off from that friendship because yeah. we aren't sure right. what would help. And we're so afraid of doing the wrong thing that mm. we're actually fearful of reaching out. Mm. And so just stay. Stay. Just yes. Stay. Don't ever say to yourself, oh, it's it's going to be help more helpful if I stay away because I'll say mm. the wrong thing or I'll do the wrong thing. Oh, no. Be present. Yeah. Show up. Offer help. If you don't know what to do, just just set a coffee date with that person. Yeah. Let them talk. And they will let you know if they don't feel like getting together, if they're mm -hmm. just, and that happens sometimes where you're having too hard of a day and you don't feel like getting together with friends, but mm -hmm. at least reach out. And so yeah. it's not helpful to um, not contact that person, not reach out. Mm -hmm. That actually hurts them more. And it's, yeah. it's interesting. I heard someone say once that you know who your friends are when you go through something hard because they're mm -hmm. the people that show up for you. Mm -hmm. And I hate to say that so often true. Yeah. Um, so reach out, show up. That was huge yeah. for me. And be willing to respond. If you feel God nudging you towards helping that person, then help. I have something that happened to me. Um, this was while my son was still alive, but there was a lady at our church who woke up one night in the middle of the nights she had been sleeping and she, God, she felt like God had placed on her mind our situation. My mm -hmm. son was not doing well health wise. And so she prayed for us. And then she felt like after she prayed that that was not enough. And so she went up to my husband uh, one week in church since he's the worship pastor. And she said, I feel like God is asking me to come help your wife and maybe help with your son um, every once in a while and give her a break. And I don't know, I don't even know how to care for him, but I'm willing to learn because mm -hmm. I feel like this is what God has placed on my heart. And she said, would you talk to your wife about this? And what she didn't know was that um, we had been waiting on a waiting list for nursing care for some time, wow. nursing care through the state. And they had changed the rules around and they had taken us off the waiting list um, and told us that we could reapply later, which means we would not receive nursing care help. And I was just so upset over this and cried out to God, God, I need help. Yeah. I'm weary. I'm exhausted. And mm. it was a few weeks later that this woman said, how can I help? I feel like God has mm. placed this on my heart. And so if you feel God nudging you towards helping someone yeah. do it, even if you feel like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I've never been right. through this. They're going to think I'm anyway. crazy. Who am I? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, the one other thing I would say that really helped me during this time, and I mentioned it already, was um, staying grounded in God's word and what his promises and truths are. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't mention mm -hmm. this, but when my husband went through cancer, one thing that I did that really helped me, and this is not an original idea, is I put three by five cards around my house with uh -huh. verses yeah. reminding me of God's promises that he would not leave us or nor forsake yes. us. He was faithful. And all these things around my house, and I put them like next to the sink in the kitchen and next to the bathroom mirror yep. and all these Wherever things that would, would yep. end up. And I would see them because I realized that when you're going through something hard, having a quiet time once a day sometimes isn't enough, that you need those reminders all throughout your day. And yeah. when I lost my son, I had to continually remind myself 
um, of God's truths, and especially the truth that we need to keep our eyes fixed on eternity and mm -hmm. not our present circumstances, mm -hmm. that we need to keep our eyes fixed on the unseen, as Paul yeah. says, rather than the seen, because what is unseen is eternal and it's yeah. forever. It's heaven and it's no more tears. And right. I was reminded of that, even though I had so much grief, like you said, um, losing a child is one of the worst griefs you can well, go I through in life. Most. That's that's I my read that too. Yeah. I read that too. And, but I don't want to diminish um, the sure, grief sure. of losing a spouse or any other no, no. person who's so close to you. But I, I have heard that too. And part of it is because it goes out of the natural order of what we expect yes, in life. And that right. is that people older than us will die before die us. That's and right. the people younger than us will outlive us. And when yes. that doesn't happen, it rocks and shakes our world. And as a yes. parent, I can say personally, I felt like I had failed my son, like I couldn't keep him alive. And Here's the thing. Nobody could keep my son alive. No doctor, no medicine, nothing could. There was no solution. And yet I still felt like I had failed him. And so I think that's why the grief of losing a child is so devastating, is that you feel yeah. like as a parent, your job is to protect your child. And in that yeah. time, I did my best to protect him and help him and help him thrive. But his body was broken and he passed away. But now I know he's fully healed and with yes. and that I'm going to see him again someday. And that's oh. the hope that sustained me through my years of grief. Yeah. Having that, having that knowledge, that yes. belief. Yeah. That's beautiful. Hey, thank you, Sarah, for sharing with us about Silas and your story there. Now was, <clears throat> was losing Silas and God gaining Silas <laughs> was um, <clears throat> was that the impetus for your new book? And if so, tell us about it. My new book is coming out October 29th. It's called Made for Hope, Discovering Unexpected Gifts and Brokenness. And the story does chronicle our journey of the tragedies we've gone through, specifically the tragedy of adopting a child and finding out he was dying. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I discovered um, after my son passed away, when I was dealing with the grief, I was doing a lot of journaling, but it was not for public. For anyone sure. to see, it was my own personal grief journey. And through journaling those feelings, which were sometimes very raw mm -hmm. and very hard and difficult, I started looking for what I call... Um, the gifts of brokenness. And okay. those are the gifts that God gives us in the midst of our mm. pain, that yeah. he offers us things like hope for the future. At first, mm -hmm. we'll feel no hope, but eventually we realize that we do have, as Christians, a hope that the rest of the world does not have. That's right. The hope of heaven and that we can have joy. Joy will return, not right away. It takes time, mm -hmm. but we can have a newfound joy. And this is the joy that he gives us. And it's not happiness. It's different than happiness, which is based on circumstances. That's it's right. The joy uh, that's found in relationship. Right. And the joy that's found in our relationship with him. Yeah. And so I started writing about these gifts of brokenness that I was discovering um, a new kind of peace that I could trust mm -hmm. God for my future. I've been through these hard things and all of us go through hard things. You've been through hard things, I'm sure yeah. too, but that God will always be there for us. And so yeah. I started writing about them, um, journaling about them, noticing them. And then I started blogging after that and writing about them there on my blog. Okay. And eventually I decided, you know what? 
I need about need to continue to write about these in a book. Um, because I was having a lot of people say, oh, I shared your blog with so-and-so because they lost a child or they mm. went through this hard thing and they're trying to figure things out. And um, it was great that my blog was being shared, but I realized it would be so much easier if you could just give them a book yeah. that takes them through the whole story. And so they're not having to look up different right, right. things in the chronology of my blog. And and I that's when I started writing, rewriting um the whole story of what we've gone through and how I found God's gifts of brokenness. And my hope is that it will help inspire people to look for those gifts in their own life. And it might not be the same gifts as what I found, but some of them might be, and some might be different too. And I chronicle 15 gifts of brokenness in the wow. book. Wow. Okay. Um, what's, what's the one that sticks out to you the most that you love to, it's probably all of them because all gifts are good, but <laughs> they are. And I, one. I mean, I would say hope. That's why I called it Made for Hope, because okay. we can have the hope of heaven. But since yeah. I've talked so much about hope today on the show, um, one other gift that has meant a lot to me that's had a new meaning actually to me is finding my identity in Christ. Mm. And that was something I always knew that I, I am a child of God. Yeah. But it's only when when I had one identity taken from me. Um, and that was the identity of being Silas's mom. Not that yeah. I'm not still his mom. I am, but yeah. I felt like that identity was yeah. taken from me that I had to rest in the reality and the promise that I was a child of God first and foremost, and nothing could take that away. Yeah. From me. Nothing right. ever in this life, ever, ever. no death, no brokenness, no sin, nothing right. could take away that identity of being called his child. And that had a whole new meaning for me yeah. um, after the death of my son. Wow. So, in that's, addition to hope, I wanted to add identity in Christ. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Okay. So you, you posted this on IG, but not all of our listeners are following you yet, but they're going to after today's show. Um, <laughs> You posted the cover of your new book and yeah. it's beautiful with balloons. Could you share a little bit about the significance on the, of the balloons on the front cover? Absolutely. Because I think most people wouldn't um, think balloons belong on a book that has to do with losing a child. Mm -hmm. But after my son passed away, we started going to what's called a family grief center, which was a, an incredible resource for my family my, my daughter and for us. And a lot of the things that they did at this grief center, besides helping you process your grief mm -hmm. would include like remembrance activities, different things to remember that loved one, because they realized that a lot of times we want to just stuff the grief and yeah. move on. And they're trying to help you say, no, you need to deal with the grief, but you can also remember that person. It can be a joyful thing. And yeah. so they would do these different activities with the families from time to time. And one night we showed up and they had all these balloons there and they said, we're going to do a balloon release. And they said, we want you first though, before we, we release the balloons, we want you to write a note to your loved one who passed away. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, whatever, we'll do this, you know? And I, at first I kind of dismissed it as this is just one of those silly little activities. It's not like my son's ever going to get this note or whatever. Right, right, right. And I started writing and all of a sudden I got really tearful as I wrote his name, dear Silas. Mm. And I realized all of a sudden just to write his name again, how yeah. much that meant. Their name means so much for, for mm -hmm. other people to speak my son's name, um, for me to write or speak my son's name. It's so special to me. And as yeah. I wrote out, dear Silas, I miss you so much. I started to cry. 
And I put down, I can't wait to see you again in heaven. Mm. And I signed it. I love you, mama. Mm. And I attached that note onto the string. And, you know, I've just really emotionally um, overcome at that point. Yeah. Because although I knew my son would read that note, the words felt real to me. And they felt hopeful to me because I knew I would see him again someday yeah. in heaven. And we tied the notes on and we were all standing there with our balloons, a whole group of us standing in a circle, all with mm -hmm. balloons. And then they were like, on the count of three, we're going to release them. And we released them and all these balloons go up into the sky. And we were all looking up at them and people were laughing and they were crying. Yeah. And it was a moment, moment of remembering those who have passed on, but also the hope that we have that their story, our story is not done. That's right. God has given us a story of redemption yeah. and hope. He has put this inside of us because his son, Jesus lives inside us mm -hmm. for believers. And so we are made for hope. Yeah. And it was that moment of releasing those balloons, looking in the sky and realizing that and be reminded of that, that balloons, mm -hmm became a symbol for our family of yeah. hope. Yeah. Well, and that's just, I think, you know, it's, it's not just what, what I hear you talking about. It's not just discovering gifts and brokenness. It's receiving gifts and brokenness. Yeah, it's absolutely, it's saying, ah, yes, I see this and I recognize it as a gift. And yes, thank you. I'll take it. I'll open it. I'll keep it. Um, I'll treasure it. I'll cherish it. Um, I love, I love that picture in my head. So, um, Sarah, thank you so much for sharing so much of your broken experiences with us and, um, just being, I don't know, just brave and, um, candid with us because there are women listening right now that needed to hear the truth that you spoke over yourself and had others speak over you that carried you through those times of brokenness and will carry you through the additional times of brokenness that are ahead, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so thank you so much. So two things as we wrap up. Sarah, and I want you to be sure, um, well, I'm going to ask you two questions. So one, um, what is one thing, one truth, if you can picture the women listening today, what is one truth that you want them to have etched into their memory forever after they stop listening to today's show? And then the second is, how can people reach out to you so they too can be encouraged by you? Maybe it's to get your book. Maybe it's to follow you on IG. But so those are the two questions I have for you as we wrap up. Well, I just want to encourage every woman to remember that God is not done writing your story. Mm -hmm. No matter what you've gone through, no matter what is to come, no matter what you're facing today, God is not done with you or your story. And so yeah. hang on to hope in that, in that place. Yeah. I love and that. second, if, if you want to continue to stay in touch, I would love to stay in touch with anyone who's listening to this podcast. You can find me, um, at Sarah ward.com. And that's and no H, right? No H Sarah without an H. And then R stands for Renee and then ward.com. Okay. And 
that's also where you can find me on Instagram and Facebook, Sarah R. Ward, okay. um, or any of the Twitter, any of those places as well. And I would love to hear from listeners. I really do love community and conversations about mm-hmm. any of these topics that I've talked about. Awesome. And okay. And your book comes out October 29th. How it can they out. get it? How can we get it? On October 29th, just check on Amazon. Just go ahead and type in Made for Hope and or my name and it should come up um, on Amazon and it will be releasing on some other platforms later on, but starting out on Amazon. So yes, would love um, for readers to check it out and leave a review if you read it too, because I love to hear from readers. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, are you going to get it on Audible? I am working on that. Yes. Um, <laughs> I have started the recording of the audiobook, um, but it's a really long process. So yeah, yeah. it will probably oh. come after the print release. It will probably okay. not be at the same time, although maybe, maybe, maybe I'll be wrong. But yeah, I love listening to audiobooks. So that is one of my goals. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, Sarah, anything else you want to leave us with today before we sign off? I just want to thank you so much, Sherry, for going to the depth of conversation that we went to today and your insights. It was wonderful speaking with you. I feel like we're just chatting over a cup of coffee, Um, even though we have microphones in front of our faces (laughs) and I'd rather not. I'd rather just be chatting over coffee. I I just want to thank you for your wisdom and insight and um, for your podcast. Thank you so much. Sure. You're, you're so welcome. Thanks for being on and thanks again for your candor and your, um, encouragement to me and to the listeners today. I'm very grateful for you, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Have a good afternoon. You too. Bye. Bye. As always, I'm humbled you chose to join me this week for Thriving Thoughts. It's women like you who listen, subscribe, and give us thoughtful reviews that allow our message of thriving in any and every circumstance to reach even more women who need a healthy dose of truth speaking. I'm Dr. Sherry, And I'm grateful to be your Thriving Thoughts host, where we're shifting perspectives and speaking life to you so you can thrive. Be sure to tune in next week and share this episode with a friend. Until then, remember, overcome your little lies with big truths. I don't know about you guys, but I'm having so much fun with these blasts from the past. So many nuggets that I never want us to forget. A special thanks again to my friend Sarah Ward for being on the show back in September of 2019. And I'm just excited to be able to share this again with you today. Be sure to grab a copy of her book, Made for Hope, on Amazon.com or on SarahRWard.com. Again, those links are in the show notes. Hey, friends, did you also know that Sarah created a Bible study, a Made for Hope Bible study book that you can also purchase on either of those two websites? Check it out today for your small group that might be meeting on Zoom as we speak and who's in need of a little hope and encouragement in a time of brokenness and loss. All right, my friends, we'll see you right here on Sunday for another Dynamo interview, brand new interview for season three this Sunday. Until then, remember to speak truth over the lies so you can thrive in any and every circumstance.